Welcome back to Light Spark, a podcast where we talk about anything that inspires us to think. I'm your host, Lin. Hello, friends. My conversation this week is with Cecilia. Cecilia is a master student studying applied cultural analysis at Lund University in Sweden. She has a BA with a major in comparative literature and a minor in political science. Now she's aiming for a PhD in anthropology. Born in Sweden, she's not only fluent in English and Swedish, but also knows Japanese to an extent. She has experience working in a variety of fields, including marketing, care work, teaching, and professional acting. And she has been very active in the social movement, calling for actions on climate change, etc. As a part of Seeking Your Passion series, this episode we touch on a few things. We talk about her academic work and cross-cultural experiences, and the most valuable lessons she has learned along the way, as well as what makes her so passionate about getting involved in the climate change movement. All right. Hi, Cecilia. How are you? Hello. I'm good. I'm good. Great.、Uh, thanks for joining my podcast. Actually, it's my pleasure to have you. So, <laughs> so yeah. Well, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So today we are gonna start <laughs> with talking about your academic experience, because、uh, Cecilia, like I introduced you before,、uh, you have a BA with a major in comparative literature and a minor in political science. So, can you give us a clue as to what does、uh, what these two disciplines are actually about? Um, so comparative literature is—it's、um, a lot less about literature than I thought, and a lot more about history than I thought.、Uh, so it's kind of like, like imagine having a history course, but instead of learning about like, okay, so、uh, in this,、uh, like in these years, this and this happened, you learn about it through books. So it's kind of like, okay, so in this. In this and this era, these and these books were released, and then you have to read the books, and you're like, okay, so how does this connect to what happened during that era? So it's kind of like you know, well, it's kind of like history, but through books and through literature. And、uh, yeah, how about and political、yeah. science? Well, yeah, <laughs> political science.、Uh, well, that's like. That's basically like、uh, how does politics work? It's not so much like political issues per se, but more like how does politics work? Like、uh, what kind of different systems are there, and and so on.、Mm, I see. So, so why did you choose these two subjects? You know, when you're in uni. <laughs> yeah. Well,、um, actually, I had a lot. Like, I had a really hard time. Uh, deciding what I wanted to do in university,、mm. uh, so I walked around for like ages, and I was like, because I I was always stuck in this whole like what will give me a job、um, mm. thought. So I was like,、uh, should I do this? Should I do that?、Mm, will that give me a job?、Mm, I don't know. Will that give me a job? And then at one point, my husband said to me that like, you know, Cecilia, it. It doesn't matter if you, you know, attend something that will give you a job,、hmm. 
because that is not what you want to do,、mm. right? So you have to do something that you want to do. Otherwise, you won't complete it.、Mm. And if you won't complete it, then you might as well just not do it because it won't matter. So yeah, and so then I found, I found comparative literature,、mm. and I was like, this sounds like so much fun,、uh, and I was like, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna start studying it, and then I'm gonna, you know, until I figured out something that I want to do.、Mm. Uh, so I'm just gonna study it for a little while, and then you know, see what I want to do,、mm. and then I ended up getting a bachelor's in it. <laughs> so. Got、yeah. it, got it. Actually, I、uh, like like we talked before.、Uh, I think I'm quite surprised because I it it sounds like actually you are on a journey to find out what you are exactly like,、uh, what you are exactly、uh, interested in. But I think、uh, you know I'm quite I'm surprised because I always thought that before that between the West and China. Due to the differences in the education system,、uh, students in the West might have a bad idea of like what they want to study at uni. So, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be like,、uh, for example, me. I'm graduating from high school under a test-based education system, and choose a well-ranked uni, and I choose a well-ranked major at that uni. So. But I actually didn't know much about the major I was about to study at the time. So, <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious.、Um, so, but as far as I know, Japan is also a country that employs a test-based education system. And you have been to Japan before, so you probably get an idea about education over here, over there.、Uh, so, what do you think is the difference between Swedish and Japanese educational approach or philosophies behind this? <laughs> um. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I gotta be clear with like I've never studied at a Japanese university,、mm. so I don't have like that much insight. Um. But the insights I got was that there seems to be very much like um. Um. It's almost like an unspoken rule that、mm. as soon as you finish high school, you go straight into university,、mm. um, and then you stay there for like four years, I think it is, for a bachelor's,、um, and that's like that's not the case in Sweden. In、mm. Sweden, it's more like if when you graduate from high school, you it's not uncommon to take a few years to like, I don't know. Work a little, travel a little,、mm. maybe reading some course that doesn't really have to do, with,、mm. like that won't really get you a degree, but it might be fun and so on.、Mm. Um, and then when you have sort of figured out that this is what I want to do in life,、mm. um, then you start、uh, studying.、Um, so, yeah.、Mm. So I think that. In Sweden, like in Swedish universities,、um, there are a lot more varied ages. I have the feeling,、um, because you know, some people they do go straight from high school into university, and they'll be like eighteen when they start. But some people they work and work all their lives, and then they find out that wait a minute, I want to study 
this thing. And then they they end up in the same class as the 18-year-old, even though they're like 35. So, mm. yeah. Actually, I like this idea because uh, when we don't know what you exactly want to do, actually, we just try, you know, try different stuff. Like you said, I think it's a good approach, you know, to find out uh, what's your passion, what you are interested in. Because actually, uh, what you are saying about Japan, uh, Japanese education there is quite similar as Chinese education here. We just, you know, we go for the university after graduating from high school because we, you know, we we made a lot of efforts uh, to for uh, for uh, uni, so we have to go for one. I think it's quite different, but I think. Um, it's really good approach and idea like you try something around so you found out what you really want to do that's kind of stuff it's really great okay so we are uh, talked about your undergraduate degree how about your master degree i mean why did you choose apply cultural analysis for your ma um <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of ask myself that sometimes too, but um, <laughs> no, but I was, um, yeah, like when I was, when I was doing my bachelor's, I was still also kind of trying to figure out like, what do I want to do after this? Like, um, and I kind of figured out that I kind of want to study all my life. <laughs> so that's when I, I sort of... Um, figure that maybe I should do like a PhD hmm. um, and possibly like pursue a, an academic career um, and so I started looking around for different masters um, a lot of them are like you know either we prepare you for a work life or we prepare you for a life in academia hmm. um, and this program was kind of like it was sort of in the middle um because it was kind of like it seemed a lot like oh this this will get you out on the working market you know this will this will get you a job mm -hmm. um and then there was this like q a um meet with uh, some of the teachers and i went there and i asked about the prospects of, of getting a phd mm -hmm. And they were like, yeah, well, actually, uh, <laughs> this kind of surprised us, but uh, we have a lot of people who get a PhD after this. Mm. Um, so I kind of figured that, okay, so if I take this, like, uh, like I was pretty sure back then that I wanted to do a PhD, but I was also sort of aware that, okay, when I have finished, like, in two years, I might not want to do a PhD anymore. So I was kind of like, it's probably good for me to have sort of both of these doors open. Mm. Right. So that's why I picked, I picked this. Oh, got it. So what exactly is applied cultural analysis about? I think my guest for the first episode of Seeking Your Passion series E has already shared some of her insights on these questions, but I'd love to know what do you think? So can you give us a few examples to illustrate this? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of like um, you use like um, 
like anthropological and ethnological theories and methods um but rather than like reading about them and then going to class and hearing your teacher talk about them uh you read about them and then you use them uh mm. so in our education it's a lot of like no you have to you have to conduct your your own projects you have to uh talk with your clients you have to uh you know uh things like that which is very very useful it's a new way for me of uh, of working with theory um but i think it's very useful and it's very fun mm. um so yeah so okay so i think our past experience have shaped who we are today so I I'd like to ask you like what impact do you think these three subjects you mentioned before have had on the, on the way you think the way you deal with people etc so in other words like uh what these three subjects uh have an impact on you uh you mean the subjects I've studied uh, yeah in... study I think the three subjects yeah. you have already mentioned before Yeah um Yeah I think hmm. <laughs> I think Sorry. like uh yeah <laughs> uh, just say what just say what I you think want like, to say <laughs> Yeah um No I mean I think um both with the uh, comparative literature and with political science like I have sort of uh learned that it's not the same outside of academia as it is inside of academia hmm. that like uh reading a book is not the same thing as like learning about like learning about books hmm. um and reading about politics is not the same as learning about politics um yeah and with the with the masters program i think what i have learned is like I guess like how to how to approach people how to mm. use what I know mm. uh in a more concrete way. Mm. You also mentioned you are uh I you are trying to you know pursue a PhD degree. So why did you want to apply uh to anthropology for your PhD? Um I think anthropology is um first of all is very much connected to um my master's degree because mm. we are using uh, like anthropological theory and a lot of anthropological methods. Um and also it's such a multifaceted uh subject. So it's kind of like I can do a lot of things uh within anthropology. Um that are very different from each other. Mm. Um Yeah, I'm actually very interested in like video game studies which you can do uh if you have like Yeah, if if you have like an anthropological background, you can do that. Mm. Uh so All right. So, since you mentioned the video game, so you you i think you, uh, the, uh, in the bio you sent to me you 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 just mentioned you have you know you are very close to doing education you programming 
uh, system development or something else that could have worked a video game company. So, <laughs> so why did you interest in video games and what exactly happened here? I mean, I think, I think I always have like an interest in mm. storytelling. Like since I was a kid, I used to read a lot of books. And I was always playing video games, like mm. since I was a kid. Um, so I think it's the whole like storytelling part that speaks to me. Um, and when I got older, I was kind of like, yeah, maybe I should do that. You know, maybe I should go for like a, a video game, uh, you know, video game developer. Mm. Maybe I should go down that path. Mm. Um, and I actually, I, I did apply even. Uh, but then I withdrew my application and then, uh, you know, I was, and then this whole thing happened with like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to try study comparative literature for a little while, uh, and just see what it's like. And then I ended up having a, a bachelor's degree in it. And then, you know, uh, but yeah, <laughs> I see. I guess that's what happened. I see. I see. Because actually, I have uh, talked uh, uh, talked about the video game with Cecilia before, and actually, I found out the game I I I recommended you is called. I found out it's called Plague Inc. I mean, uh, the, oh yeah, yeah, Plague Inc. Actually, yeah, um, that one. Yeah, it's a real time strategic uh, simulation video game. So. Your goal is to spread the virus you have calculated to the whole all of human being. So, yeah, I think it's a really good a uh, video game. I I think even though it sounds very evil, you know, because your goal is to bring about the ex <laughs> extinction of the whole of hum uh, humanity. But to be honest, I learned a lot about the medical knowledge of different uh, virus and policies of many countries, etc. While playing this game, so I think. For a good game, which is actually designed for a particular wide range of things, uh, like you know, uh, you will have to think about cultural, social, historical, and political uh, aspects on it. So I think um, it's a really good area to study. So so just go for it. I really so, look forward you. to your study and research about it. Okay, so yeah, <laughs> great and. I think uh, we talk back to your PhD. So, what have you done uh, to prepare for this? Like, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so what I've done is that I have applied for a lot of um, different positions as like research assistant and and so on, with uh, very little luck. <laughs> mm. But uh, I yeah. Um, but I've also actually partaken, um, not as a, an as assistant, but as a, a research subject, sort of, um, in various, uh, like, different research projects and so on. Mm. Um, and that's because I think, like, one of the most important things when you want to do a PhD is to, like, you know, get contacts within the academic world so that people know who you are and that mm. people know that you exist. Um, I've also, uh, something I did was that I, um, I talked to my teacher uh, and said, like, I, I want to do a PhD because, like, my teacher has done a PhD. 
So it's like, <laughs> I can just ask him, like, how do you do it? What mm. what should you think about? How should you approach it? Mm. And he has also been, uh, you know, accepting PhD studies uh, students and uh, supervise them. So it's kind of like he had a lot of good, you know, tips on what I should do and what I should think about and so on. Mm. Um, it's still very confusing to me <laughs> how I should actually do it. But I guess that's part of the mm, part of the process as well. Don't worry, you can do that. I I really <laughs> hope everything goes Thank well you. with your PhD application. Okay, so we've talked. So uh, we've talked about your academic experience, and actually, Cecilia, you have a great variety of work experience, including marketing, care work, teaching, and professional acting. So, which one do you enjoy most? And why? Uh, I think that's a that's a difficult thing to to answer because like they have all been so different. Yes. In uh, different ways, mm -hmm. like um, I guess, like I mean, I I guess people sort of would expect me to say that. Oh, uh, the acting stuff that was the most mm -hmm. fun thing I've ever done, and. It is very funny to do acting, but it's also very stressful, mm. and it's it doesn't pay well, um, and it's like very. You know, you you get very like sort of. Exposed to the interest industry, mm. um, there aren't a lot of uh, you know, unions, for uh, people who work within the arts and so on, mm. so. There are ups and downs with everything. Uh, working as a professional carer, that was very stressful in very in a lot of ways. Mm. But it was a very different kind of stress because it was always like, okay, I know that this job will like you know I I will I will always have this job. I will stay at this job. Um, it won't go away, and I do have my rights, and I do have you know things like that. But the job in itself. Was very stressful sometimes, because since you did a lot of different work, so I think you must learn a lot of from different uh, work experience. So, uh, what are they? Where do you learn the most important thing from different work experience? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, like, yeah, <laughs> it's difficult to say because you learn difficult things, right? Mm. From difficult. Exactly. Um... Yeah. You, you learn different things, I mean, mm. from different places. So when it came to, like, the professor, professional carer thing, um, that was a lot about, like, communication and uh, actually, like, seeing for somebody's needs and, you know, staying, um, like, you know, communicating with a person on their sort of... Um, on their level, sort of, uh, in a whole different way, because it's kind of like, when I talk to you, it's kind of like, it's pretty, I, I can pretty quickly, you know, make like a small, small talk and a conversation about like everyday stuff. But if I had to be in your home uh, all day and follow you in your every step, mm. as I do mm. when I work as a professional carer, mm then we need a whole other type of communication because we do a whole different kind of 
of thing, right? Mm. Um, and when it comes to marketing, I also learned communication skills. But that was yet another way of communicating because that was like, okay, I got to sell this right now. I got to pitch it in in like 10 seconds. Um, and I got to, you know, I don't need to know the people uh, beforehand. I just need to pitch in the stuff that I'm selling. Uh, so, so yeah, that was different. Mm, I see. So um, do you think there should be a definite connection between the you know, uh, subject you study at uni and the industry you eventually choose to pursue? Or would you think that you would feel a bit of, you know, sorry, because after all, you, you know, spend a lot of time studying a, studying a subject, just think of all the days you stay up late in the library, <laughs> working on your papers. So, I mean, yeah, we spend spend lots of time and effort, you know, made a lot a lot of efforts on this. But now you are working in a position that is not related to what you learn in uni. So, how do you think about it? Um, I think it's good to have both things, sort of, mm. because it's kind of like for some people, mm. they are determined that like this is what I want to do in life. Mm. Um. You know, for me, like a few years ago, I was, I was thinking I'm going to want to work with video game development. I'm going to want to do that my whole life. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was kind of like, but is that really what I want to do, you know, my whole mm -hmm. life? Uh, or is it something that I feel like this would be cool to do right now, mm -hmm. but in like, 15 years I might be so bored with it that I want to do something else and that's why I decided to do something more like general um, and study something more general mm -hmm. which was like okay this can lead to a job but I don't really know what kind of job and, and so on mm. so I think for some people it's very clear what they want to do for others it's not as clear uh, so I think I think it's good to have both both options available. Mm. I see. Actually, I, I totally agree what you said because um, for me, take example, actually, uh, when I went to the university in my undergraduate degree, actually, I chose material chemistry. And uh, although I told people just, uh, you know, I, I, I really hate, hate it. But actually at the moment after I graduated from high school, actually I, I kind of like chemistry because, you know, I got a lot of inspiration from my chemistry teacher. So I actually like the science and like chem uh, chemistry, you know. So, but after four years of studying, you know, <laughs> material chemistry, I found out actually it's not I want to do. I think that's because I'm I'm growing up. I just found out I'm cha I've changed, and I found something else I like. So I I changed my major to the journalism. So yeah, I think yeah this happened. So basically, and it's hard to tell people like you have to figure out what are you like right now because people change all the time. So I think you make a brilliant idea here. And yeah, I totally agree with you. So uh, <laughs> so what's your strategy for a career 
plan. <laughs> Do you have one? Uh, <laughs> I don't have one. <laughs> But you definitely have like a, some I, kind of strategy for plan. You know, <laughs> just share with us. I mean, uh, mm. yeah, like. It's kind of, like at this point, I want to do a PhD. Like that's my my、uh, goal from now. But I'm always like, because I'm like I've tried to be like it's the same thing about the video game developer、mm. thing. That was something that I thought I really want to do this. But then I thought, do I want to do this in like fifteen years? And I was like, maybe, maybe not. Um, and that's sort of like when when I figured that out, I was like, maybe that's an approach I should have.、Mm. So for now, it's kind of like, like when I started university, I was pretty sure that okay, I think I want to do like a an academic academic career. I think I want to pursue that.、Um, but I was also kind of like, but we'll see in a year, you know. And then next year, I was like, I still want to do an academic career,、mm. but we'll see in a year. You know, and right now I'm at the point where I'm like, I want to do a PhD, but we'll see after I do the PhD if I still want to do an academic career,、hmm. um, or if I want to go do something else. You know, so I think my 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 number one tip is to be like, think about what you want to do right now, and then think, will I want to do this in like twenty years? Um. And if the answer is I don't know,、uh, but you want to do it now, do it and then see next year. Do I still want to do this?、Mm. If the answer is yes, go for it. If the answer is no, find something else.、Mm. Okay, so nice strategy. <laughs> and so we talk about your strategy for a plan, and now I think I want to ask you、uh, another stuff, something like time management. Because I found out you like to play music, you know, you play a lot of instruments, including piano, guitar, and cello, and you write songs, and you are playing、uh, in the symphonic orchestra. You've also been engaged in a women's、uh, choir in London, I think, and enjoying London、yeah. students' theatre. In addition, you participate in some volunteer work. So it seems you really have very wonderfully varied and colorful <laughs> life. So, how do you balance all of stuff like your life, your study, and your work? I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. I don't、you、balance it. You should know. It's all chaos. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, um yeah, um, I mean,、mm-hmm. I think it's important to sort of.、Um, Find where your、uh, where your limits are,、mm. and to sort of schedule in. Like, if you have very little to do, you don't have to schedule in like free time where you don't do anything.、Mm. But I think a lot of people disregard the like the importance of actually scheduling scheduling in time in your life where you do nothing. Where、mm. you are just being very improductive,、mm. um, so that's something that I try to do. Like I schedule in; it, it doesn't have to be long, but like, you know, one week, like one evening in a week, I want to just sit、uh, by myself and 
just do nothing, you know. Mm, I see. So, I think that's important to you, keep. Like, will you follow, uh, uh, you know, a kind of like to do list or something like plan, plannings on your calendar, something like that? Yeah, I do. I try to I try to plan as much as possible and to、mm. keep track on on what I do.、Mm. Um, yeah, I also try to set up like、mm. some goals sometimes because sometimes you just do things just because you have to do them、um, and it doesn't lead anywhere.、Mm. So that's why I try to set up goals instead. <laughs> All right, great. And so let's move to. Uh, the biggest part of this conversation, climate change, because when I was doing research for this episode earlier, I found that an activity takes up about like eighty percent of your Facebook. <laughs> so you must be taking this very seriously, and that is, I am. yeah, that is、um, since May twenty nineteen. I think you have been. Participating in climate change movement every Friday outside Moma City Hall. I think it's called Fridays for Future Moma. So, what is it about?、Yeah. Can you tell us more about uh, uh, the Fridays for Future Moma?、Um, so, the Fridays for Future movement.、Uh, it's not just in Moma, but it's like worldwide. Oh,、okay. it started in Stockholm.、Mm. Yeah. It started in Stockholm in twenty、uh, eighteen,、mm-hmm. with uh, uh, it was a, a Swedish girl who、uh, decided to strike from school,、mm. uh, so she didn't go to school,、um, and she's doing that still,、uh, and more and more people、uh, have joined her. So,、uh, like, it started with people、uh, like school kids striking from from、mm. school. But then it sort of expanded, and now everyone are welcome,、uh, no matter how old you are, or if you're still in school, or if you're not in school, and and so on.、Um, and the point is to sort of show the world that not enough is being done.、Uh, that it's sort of like for for a lot of school kids today. They feel like, why should I go to school when my future, like when I don't have a future, anyways?、Mm. Um, and that's like a very powerful message.、Um, and yeah, I support that message. So yeah, but it started in Stockholm in twenty eighteen, but now it's like open for everyone、uh, in all the countries. And yeah, I think we have strikes in every continent、uh, in the world.、Uh, Actually, right now.、Mm. So yeah, I see. So, what kind of activities do you have to, you know, advocate for concern and solutions to climate change issues, etc.? Um, I think that the the most important thing to do right now is、uh, political activity, like political pressure, putting political pressure on. World leaders and so on, because if we look at it, we already have all the solutions, right, for creating a sustainable and carbon neutral society. The only thing is that we aren't implementing them. We we are implementing them, but we aren't implementing them fast enough.、Uh, it's going way too slow, and the only thing that can change this is political incitement from the people. 
because politicians won't come in and say like we're gonna subsidize uh we're gonna we're gonna stop all fossil fuel uh driven things right now politicians are not going to say that um unless the people say we demand you stop all the fossil fuel uh driven things right now uh so i think the most important thing to do is to put political pressure on world leaders got it got it so so why does everything all of the stuff matters to you i think yeah to me like i i joined the movement because i was just really because i was kind of of the belief that like either it's not that bad or that like it is quite bad but we can't fix it anyways you know i mm. can't do anything you know mm. um but then i learned that no actually all the solutions are there we can fix this it's not like impossible mm. we can fix it mm. but it's not happening because we don't have um enough like the politicians don't have enough incitement for it to happen mm. and the incitement comes from people people like me so that's why i started to sort of engage in this because i felt like i have to do something you know mm. um and then when i started engaging i actually like i found a lot of nice cool people that i still have contact with and it's become like a great um area of like you know meeting talking to other people uh talking about like climate change and talking about like other political issues and so on mm. so it's also kind of fun got it so surely um actually i think you are doing something that is particularly meaningful for the protection of the environment and i actually i had that in december 2020 through your efforts and protest you succeed in getting sweden's largest company prime to decide to withdraw its controversial application to expand the oil refinery in lucasi so well done i really yeah. appreciate you all so i think your deeds you. deserve to be more widely known and more of us should join <laughs> you in doing our best to combat yes, climate change i think so change. too i think yeah. so too yeah. so that's our, what, <laughs> what i'm trying to say here what um what i'm trying to point out here but of course as you say uh it's not easy so what do you think is the biggest challenge uh, facing climate change at the moment Um I think actually um maybe this is like the social scientist in me speaking but I think the biggest challenge today is disinformation. Mm. Um because climate change is not a simple problem. It is a very complex problem. Um and it is also a problem which a lot of like a lot of different actors have different incitements uh in uh in uh, you know either stopping climate change or fueling climate change um so a lot of fossil fuel companies for example mm. they have very successfully created a lot of narratives around climate change saying things like it's not that bad or saying like 
well, it is that bad, but humans mm. can't, like, humans aren't the reason. Mm. Um, or even saying things like, it's it's gone too far already, we can't stop it. Um, mm. This is a very common narrative today. I see lots of people who think there's no use protesting because we can't stop it. And this is not true. Mm. Um, there are some things that we cannot stop. There are some things that are gone forever. But there are also a lot of things that aren't. Um, and it's not a question of like, we are either doomed or we are not doomed. It's mm. a question of like, what parts of our climate is already doomed and what parts can we still save? Mm. So I think disinformation um, is one of the biggest challenges, I think. I see. So Because it stops people from protesting. Got it. Got it. So how do you think we should tackle this issue? Like, you know, because you mentioned maybe... Uh, yeah, well... <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, go on. As, yeah, no. Mm. I mean, it's, it, it's a difficult thing to answer, right? Because mm. I am not... I'm not a climate scientist, so so I don't really know how but, exactly this. But you are be. very involved in these kind of movements, so I think you, uh, kind of get a better knowledge, uh, than the others who you know they just don't realize this kind of issue. So I think you can give them some, you know. Yeah. Uh, your your I think the that. best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think the best thing to tackle this is to sort of, well, first of all, we need to speak clear about the fact that this is not a clear mm. uh, issue. Um, there is no, like, ultimate, you know, tipping point where everything will go to hell no matter what we do. Mm. Um, there is no, like... I mean, it's like I said, you know, some things are already lost forever. Um, other things are not lost forever. Um, and this is the whole thing. Like, people love asking scientists, like, is it too late? Are we doomed? And scientists always say that, well, that depends on what you mean with doomed. Because some things won't go back to the way they used to be. Hmm. But that doesn't mean that we're doomed, you know? And for some people, uh, like a climate disaster is already the reality, sadly. Some people are already suffering greatly mm. from climate change related um, issues in the world. Mm. And for them, it's already, you know, they're already doomed sort of. Um, so this is not a black and white issue. So I think the best way of, of tackling this is to be like very, very clear and stop talking in like scenarios of like, uh, oh, we are all doomed or we are all saved or we can't, we can do anything, something about it or we can't do something about it hmm. um, because it's not that simple. So, yeah. Got it. So I just love the message you put out there. So for a global challenge such a you know you know for example like the climate change i think we really do we really need uh, all of people's efforts we really need uh, you know come together and work this out 
So I think it's really important to make everybody get involved because actually it's a global challenge for everyone. So I think everybody should really get involved in this kind of stuff. So you are great. Yeah. And so, <laughs> thank you.、Um, what do you think are the impacts of the COVID nineteen on you know on global environment? Um, yeah. So that I think that's、um, also something that is very like、uh, local, <laughs> in a way. Like for for me, who lived in Sweden and like in most of Europe and, and most of the Western world, I think、mm. um, since people stayed indoors all the time, emissions went drastically down.、Um, and that was I don't know good for the environment、uh, at least temporarily. Um, but I think the best thing about the COVID nineteen,、uh, or like best thing mm, mm. about the COVID nineteen、uh, impact, is that it proved to the world that we can do、uh, enormous global changes、uh, in a very short time.、Um, that is entirely possible,、um, and so I think because. What we need to do to solve climate change is to do things that we've never done before in the history of mankind. And what we did during the COVID nineteen pandemic was that we put everyone in the world in a lockdown, basically.、Mm. And that is also something that we've never done before、uh, in the history of mankind. So it sort of proves that just because we've never done it before doesn't mean that it's impossible.、Um, So that's something that could be good. However,、uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic turned out to be in many countries like a democratic pro-、uh, problem,、mm. which made it difficult for people to protest. So of course,、um, of course, there wasn't only good things about the the COVID nineteen、mm. pandemic. There were, in fact, a lot of bad things. I see.、Um, the COVID nineteen、mm. pandemic was like. Ninety、uh, percent bad things.、Um, mm. That's what、mm. I, I want to be clear about. That I see.、Yeah. I get it. But、uh, yeah, I'm. I'm want to ask this question because actually I watched a documentary. I think it is、uh, filmed by BBC or something like that. Basically, they just、um, you know re,、uh, they documented like、uh, since. Twenty、uh, twenty, when the、uh, the first outbreak in Wuhan, and after that they keep documenting、uh, how the lockdowns and all of kind of、uh, restrict policies, you know, ju- they just keep the people.、Um, I think somehow it it does like、um, cut down a lot of human humans activities. So that means. Somehow they give you know、uh, the environment a little bit you know take a break something like that. So actually,、yeah. uh, according to the documentary,、um, I think、uh, from twenty twenty to the twenty twenty one for a year of pandemic, actually our environment is getting a little bit better <laughs> than before. So. Yeah, I know. I totally agree with you. Like, pandemic is like net ninety ninety percent bad, but somehow it did a 
you know. Yeah. It's very, you know, it's some sometimes it make me think very sad because, uh, it can make us to see clearly like what our uh human human beings activities made a you know made such a you know huge impact on the environment. Once we stop, environment is getting better. So it's so yeah. <laughs> hilarious. And yeah. So we really have to think about it and what is wrong we've done,、uh, what we have done to our、uh, earth, something like that. So I think、yeah. it's really, it's something that we really yeah, have it's, to yeah, think it's, about.、Uh, it. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It's quite scary when you no, like it's quite scary when you think about it. How like one species. Mm. Uh, can make such huge、uh, changes. Yes,、uh, yes, to the planet and to the、mm. environment. Yeah, exactly. And it's also kind of like because、um, the emissions in in twenty twenty,、mm. the emissions actually lowered、uh, enough. Like, if if we want to、uh, stay on hold with the Paris Agreement, we need to lower our emissions that much every year. Mm. Uh, so and that, it's very easy to go into this thought of like, oh my god, do we have to live in lockdown for the rest of our lives?、Mm. And I don't believe that, you know. I don't believe we have to. But we believe to do something on that scale, you know. It it sort of gives like. It sort of becomes like a good counterpoint of like on what scale we need to act,、mm. because a lot of the times I hear things like, "Oh, but we do things for the environment because you know we we sort our trash nowadays and and so on." And it's kind of like, "No, but that's not enough," you know. Mm, mm, mm. So yeah. Yes. Yes. So anyway, I think a global challenge, like climate change, requires global、uh, cooperation. I think. So basically, everyone just have to you know make an action to get involved in this. That's the main point, I think. All right. So we talk about the climate change. Let's move on to the、uh, cultural difference because I like I mentioned before, you have been to Japan before. So how many years have been there? One and a half years in total. Oh, so why Japan? <laughs> uh, I yeah, why Japan? I don't really know.、Um, no, but it's yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, I mean, when I finished high school, I was like, I don't really know what to do. I don't really know what you know.、Mm-mm. And I was kind of like, you know, I saw this.、Um, I was at this like.、Um, This like meeting with a, a a like travel agency who worked with like、um, getting people like young people、uh, to move to other countries and so on and specifically Japan、mm. uh, was this travel agency's like、um, uh, specialty、mm. and so I was like well I don't really have anything to do right now I don't really know where I want to go in life. So I could sit in my mother's basement.、Uh, my mother doesn't have a basement, but like you get the idea,、uh, <laughs> and figure out what I want to do. Or I could go to Japan and have、mm. fun and figure out what I want to do.、Mm. Uh, so I went to Japan, 
Um, I stayed there for six months, which was initially like the plan. Mm. Um, but after about five months, I <laughs> I found a guy <laughs> ah. who wanted to stay there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and he was going to stay there for, for two years. So I I couldn't renew my visa because it was too late for me to do so. Mm. But I thought, okay, if he's going to stay here, I don't want to do like a long distance thing uh, for, you know, one and a half years. So after six months, I went back again and stayed for a year. Mm. So, yeah. I see. So I do still remember, like, what was the biggest culture shock you found when you first arrived there? Like, I, yeah, I don't know. There was, mm. there were just so many cultural shocks and like, yeah, no, that is difficult. Um... <laughs> Don't worry, take your time. I think because actually I kind of, uh, I like Japanese culture as well, but I have never mm. been there. And actually I got a plan to to have a, tra- a short trip to there uh, in 2020. Oh. But unfortunately, the, the pandemic, you know, <laughs> everything's coming around. Yeah, so I, I have to cancel it. But I think Japan just give me an impression, uh, just give me an image of like they are super polite. <laughs> because I have one of my classmates when I was in the UK and she's so, so polite. And sometimes I get a little bit, you know, I think I'm kind of rude, but actually I'm just, I, I just <laughs> behave normally. But she make yeah. me think I'm rude. <laughs> so I yeah, think yeah. that's the first impression of uh, Japanese. Uh, you know, they gave me this kind of image of them. And I think, uh, yeah, I'll tell you a very interesting story. Actually, we went to a supermarket together and I, I got a lot of shopping bags. <laughs> so she asked her, maybe she can help me to help some. So I give it to her and and because it's quite a long way, you know, it's really far away from our dormitory. So uh, we just held the bags all, on, all the way. And, and when we wait for the tram, because we have to take the tram to go back, I just saw her just keep holding the bags, you know, all the time. So I just ask yeah. her, her so, so maybe you can, you know, put it on the ground. It's okay. This is just a bag. And she said, don't worry, I can keep it, you know, holding for you. <laughs> it makes yeah. me so sorry. But I think, oh, yeah, yeah, they're just very polite and very helpful. Yeah, no, that's actually true. That mm. like, um, a lot of the times, like when, when I was, when I first came to Japan and I didn't speak Japanese mm. um, and I couldn't find my way anywhere because, you know, all the signs are in Japanese and stuff. Um, and I was like, hmm, where do I go? And la la la. And so whenever I asked people and I thought, uh, I thought that was pretty like, that would not have happened in Sweden. Mm. When I asked people like, do you know the way to, to this and this place? And when they figured out that I don't speak Japanese, they would be like, no, we'll, we'll, we'll walk with you there. So they walked Ooh. with me the entire way uh, to the place, which was like, that was pretty fantastic, you know, yeah. just because they, they recognized that I didn't understand the language. Ah. Um, 
So that's yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're always you know I they wish... have it so nice and they they just show yeah. up and give you support and help. That's amazing. Uh, how how about food? Do you get used to eat all of kind of Japanese food? I mean, yeah, I like Japanese food. Oh, I cool. really do. Cool. cool. Um, they have, like, I'm a vegetarian,、ah. and I've been so since I was a since I was a teenager.、Mm. Um, and there are a lot of、uh, Japanese foods that are vegetarian-ish. A lot of it has fish, but、mm. you know. But what I realized was that at least when I moved there the first time, I think it's a bit different now. Uh, because this was like seven years ago, so you know.、Um, mm. But when when I moved there the first time, like something that struck me was that the concept of being a vegetarian didn't really, you know, it didn't really exist. It was、ah, a bit weird.、Mm. Um, it was kind of like when I said that I don't eat meat,、mm. they were like, "Are you allergic?" Or like, "Is it because of religion?" Oh. Or like you know,、um, and it wasn't it wasn't uncommon that、mm. you got like you asked for something vegetarian at a restaurant, and then they came and they gave you something with with meat in it,、mm. and they were like, "But it's only a little bit of meat, <laughs>、oh. so so it should be fine." <laughs>、um, but yeah,、mm. um, so that's also a a cultural shock. Yeah,、uh, when I was in uni. It's my first time to hear hear of this、uh, word like vegetarian, and、oh. yeah, actually I tried I tried to be one, but <laughs> unfortunately did it work? I, no, <laughs> I'm sorry, it, <laughs> no, because I tried it like、yeah. for a month, and you know it's very I I take it very serious, you know I I checked、yeah. online like uh. How to be a proper vegetarian, and what kind of food you can't eat, what kind of food you can eat. I take it very serious, but some unfortunately, I just end up with like crazy, you know, crazy about thinking about meat. Yeah. So I'm so sorry. <laughs> I can't be a vegetarian because、no. I think maybe because I use like、um, used a very bad strategy. So. Uh, would you give?、Yeah. Would you please just give some tips for、uh, maybe a starter、uh, who's <laughs> want to be a vegetarian? Because for me, it's so、yeah. I tried it so hard, but unfortunately, I can't do it. It doesn't work. Yeah, I think、uh, like a mistake that a lot of people do is that、mm. they try to go like all in from the beginning. It's like all or nothing.、Mm. Um, so it's kind of like for me. Um, it wasn't.、Um, I started off by just eliminating meat. I was、mm. still, you know, eating dairy and I was eating fish and I was eating everything,、mm. um, and that was pretty easy for me、uh, to sustain. And then I stopped eating fish,、um, and then I stopped eating dairy. And I also I I went full vegan for a while, but then I actually I thought that was a bit too extreme, so. I went back to eating eggs and honey.、Mm. So today, I eat like I don't eat meat, I don't eat fish, I don't eat dairy,、mm. um, but the other things I eat.、Um, and I think the issue is that people often try to go like 
they want to start off by being like a hundred percent perfect with it. It's um, me. It's me. <laughs> instead of like, yeah, it's you. <laughs> like, if you want to try and be vegetarian again, mm-hmm. like I would suggest that maybe you start by, um, being like just have like one day a week where you eat vegetarian or mm. like um start mm. off by like eliminating uh, like red meat for example and but you still eat like chicken and and uh, fish and and so on and dairy mm. and then you know when you feel like you've gotten used to that you can start eliminating chicken if you want to do that or fish if you want to do that mm. um and you know take it step by step and like yeah, don't don't worry about being a perfect vegetarian because that's still, you know, mm-hmm. people are people are fighting over that so much mm-hmm. in like the vegetarian communities and so on. Mm-hmm. Um so <laughs> yeah. All right, so I think that's my that's, uh, that, my that's one another question I'd like to ask because actually uh, there are a lot of understandings of being a vegetarian because some people may think it's not good for your health so how do you react on this kind of misunderstanding i mean i think it's perfectly like it is perfectly uh you know doable to be in good health Mm. and be a vegetarian it is also perfectly doable to be in bad health and be a vegetarian Just like it is perfectly doable to, you know, be in bad health and eat meat. Mm. Like a lot of people who eat meat, they have like horrible Uh, health issues. Um, You're right. So it's not, yeah, so it's not so much about like, and it's the whole all, um, like all or nothing thinking again of like, either you're a vegetarian and then you will have like bad health or you're a meat eater and then you will have like good health. Mm. Um, it's more about like how do you actually live your life like what do you eat do you eat too much do you eat too little Mm. do you eat varied enough do you just eat junk food Mm. Um, and so on and there are also a lot of factors that don't have to do anything with food that has to do Mm. that impacts your health so so yeah I'd say it's it's a Saying that it's unhealthy to be a vegetarian is like a very black and white statement. Mm-hmm. Back to the cultural yeah. difference. So how do you think we should address the misunderstandings that arise from cultural differences? Um, like I would probably say to like try and embrace it rather than just uh, avoiding it. Because it's kind of like, I will admit that there was a lot of like awkward situations in Japan because we didn't really, you know, because of the cultural crashes. Um, but I also learned a lot. Um, and there was also, you know, it was always a, an interesting topic of talking about like, how do you do this in Sweden? How do you do this in Japan? And so on and so on. Hmm. Um, so that's something that, that's something that you can, you can focus on. Um, what you learn from them and also I can probably recommend that like if you really think that it's like the cultural differences are you know too bad and and so on try to focus on like the cultural similarities Mm. because those exist as well Mm. like we are all human so we have similar um, you know similar points um 
and we have like yeah we have similarities even if it it may not seem like it initially mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so try to look for similarities if you think like uh, the the cultural differences are too much mm-hmm. so, because sometimes you can mm-hmm. really feel like an alien yeah exactly yeah. so so do you think uh sweden uh is it a like inclusive country i think Sweden likes to think of itself as an inclusive country. Mm. Um, it's um, unfortunately the last few years we've seen a very unsettling rise in like racist ideas and so on mm. about like uh, we cannot accept more more uh, refugees or more immigrants or or so on, which is absolutely bullshit. We definitely can. Um, and I think, um, I think Sweden, yeah, I think it's a country that wants to see itself as inclusive, Mm. but in reality, not so much. We have a bit of, uh, problems with integrations and so on. So I don't think we're as inclusive as we think we are. I think actually, if you want to know how inclusive a country is, you should always start by asking like the immigrants mm-hmm. because they will know exactly how how inclusive they feel and so on. Mm-hmm. That's something that I miss sometimes when I look at like all of these debates uh, because there's a load of debates in Sweden about like immigrants and like, should we have them here? Should we not have them here? Mm-hmm. Um, should we? And every time in these discussions it's always a bunch of like native swedes who makes so many assumptions about like who these immigrants are where they come from how they live in in uh, mm. in society and like you know just so many assumptions that i'm, I'm just like how do you know that this is true mm. um and instead, I think we should talk to the immigrants and say, like, what what are you lacking? You know, how are you doing here? Um, is it OK to live here? Would you rather live somewhere else? What do you think is good? What do you think is bad? And so on. So, yeah, because I do think that a lot of countries have more issues with uh, integration and inclusiveness than they want to admit. Mm. Thanks, uh, Cecilia, for sharing us this kind of uh, your opinion, your thoughts on the culture difference. And let's move on to the last session, quick Q&A. So basically, uh, I will ask you like uh, several questions. So please just answer me as soon as possible. Uh, okay, great. Um, so the first question, what advice would you give to your younger self? can i answer this quickly i don't know (laughs) um yeah i would probably say like uh don't worry so much about like you know like think more about what you want to do and not so much about what others want you to do that's probably my my advice okay cool so second question What's one tip for someone who's looking to study applied cultural analysis? I'd say my greatest tip is that like, 
be sure that you are very comfortable with English uh, because mm -hmm. the education is in English and it is difficult English. Um, so be confident in your English abilities. Mm -hmm. um, nice. Okay, third question. Uh, who would you say had the biggest influence on your career probably and why? I don't know. I'm like, do I even have a career? <laughs> um, or maybe someone mm. uh, like have the uh, influence on you. Mm, you know, the process you are trying to build one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm trying to do a PhD, right? Yeah. So I would say that the, the people who have the most influence there are probably the people at school. Or you know what? Mm. Actually, mm. I think my friend, uh, who has done a PhD, mm. I think she is the one who has influenced this the most. Mm. Because when I saw her dissertation, that's when I decided, like, wow, this seems fun. I want to do this. Mm. Um, so that's probably the person, yeah, oh, cool. who has influenced my career the most. Cool. Okay. So the last but not least question: Recommend three books that influence your life. And please tell us why. Uh, it's hard. Okay, to pick up I would three. say <laughs> yeah, it's hard. Three books. Um, I would say. Uh, the Wind Up Bird Chronicle by Haruki Murakami. Mm -hmm. Um, it was the first Haruki Murakami book I read, and he's now my favorite author because it was just so amazing how he built up that world and everything. So that one, um, second book. Mm. Yeah, it mm. was it was Dostoevsky. Oh, okay. Uh, I um, think the Karamazov mm. Brothers. Mm, okay. Yeah, I really liked that book. Mm. Uh, it was really good. Um, and it was also a lot about like the whole like... Um, yeah, no, I really like that book. I really recommend it. All right. Um, and the third book. <laughs> don't worry, just take Yeah, your time. I don't know. Pass. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you, Cecilia, for sharing your story and experience. And you're such an inspiration. And I wish you all the best in your life, study and work afterwards. And thank yeah. you for being my guest. Um, so I think... Oh, it, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Actually... That's it for this uh, for today's uh, show, and hopefully our conversation will not end. I hope we can talk more with you next time. So, all right, everybody, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening, and if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a comment and share it with the hashtag #LightSpot. Talk to you next time. Bye. Thank you. <laughs>